0: Hello and welcome to the House of Rams podcast. We're using this format as a quick and easy way to find out what's going on at the club and hear direct from those running the show for us. We hope you enjoy this instalment. This podcast was recorded on Thursday the 10th of March 2021 while we're in lockdown and the club is shut. Today the tables are turned and the interviewer becomes the interviewee. First team coach Michael Weston is going to lead the charge. Welcome along Westy. How are you doing today? Or should yes, I say, should I
1: say, should you be welcoming me along here? I don't know. Yes, no, I'm good. Thank you, mate. Yeah, no, I, I thank you for the opportunity, mate. I just thought that it'd be a good chance for people to sort of know the man behind the mic. And you know, a lot of people know you around the club and it'd be just nice for sort of the new generation to, to get to know you a little bit more. And yeah, nice to turn the tables a bit and put you under a bit of pressure as well. <laughs>
0: You 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 could try. We'll see we'll see what happens. So. <laughs> That's always worked out well for you, hasn't it? Putting me on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, right. Cool. So yeah. So yeah. To tell us more about yourself. Well, how's lockdown been treating you?
0: Yeah, not bad, not bad. I'm I'm really lucky. Um, I can work from home, and uh, my wife can work from home, and it's it's all been okay. We're we're very privileged to be able to to do that. Um, it's, not, it's like everyone else. We'd like to be doing more and that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I haven't got anything to to complain about. Lots of people have, but not me. Yeah,
1: fair enough, mate. So tell us more about your sort of family life. So obviously, I know you're Linda and your kids. You want to tell us about your family and
0: yeah, sure. well I mean, uh, so Linda. Uh, is my wife. We got married quite a long time ago. Um, uh, I can't remember how many years ago. 2003, whatever that is. And uh, got the two boys that uh, you coach as well on the, the fitness stuff. Owen, who plays in the under-15s and Reese, who plays in the uh, under-14s. Or would do if we'd had some games this year, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, so not a lot of people know that my dad used to be um, the club secretary and lives across the road from the rugby club um, uh, with my mum. And, uh, uh, yeah, so they're, they're really the connections. And uh, yeah, my, my dad's job as club secretary and racing club Laram and getting involved, setting that up with Ross Loveday uh, years ago, was um, uh, yeah, it just weaves into the fabric of the club, I guess.
1: Yeah, so that kind of leads me on to the next one then. So, you know, you're quite involved with the club. Ever since I've known you since I was a kid, you know, you've been heavily involved with the club for different means, whether it's a player or you know, evolved behind the scenes. Can you just tell us through kind of your your history in terms of roles for the club and what you've done?
0: So, I mean, aside from the playing side of things, I, I, I uh, ru- ru- the rugby club kind of became my place of uh, being when I'm not at work, if that makes sense. And so always being there a lot, there was always little things, big things that needed to be done. And so I was quite interested in doing that. I... Uh, was a players rep on the exec for a while um, I organised some social events that, that people need to buy beer to me or anyone else that was there to, to find out more about but, um, uh, some of those uh, across the club it was a ask, ask uh, Chris McFerrin about a gentleman's evening I think in fact actually I think we mentioned that on the, the Chris McFerrin mm-hmm. podcast so we don't need to go down there but there was I mean that came out of needing to raise some money for the club and, uh, and all that sort of stuff and yeah um, uh, as I was players rep uh, I started working with Dave Sharp on our first uh, club website and helping him uh, chew over some ideas turn over how we could do it and I was just kind of curious in what was happening there and so I just got involved and it it kind of complemented some of the things I do at work and gave me a better understanding of what I did in my job as well So uh, and what was involved so it kind of complemented each other and done those done some coaching done some been first team captain been uh what else have I done I forget I forget some of the other things I do um, yeah, in Hosting these. About, you? yeah I mean you get involved those those little projects that come up um uh helping put put those sorts of things together and normally persuade other people to get involved as well
1: yeah it's great I mean you know for me the club is like built on volunteers and it's, it's amazing you know someone like yourself is just putting so much of their spare time in trying to bring things together and and, and make it a really enjoyable experience for everyone. So, you know, the question to you is what, what, what motivates you to put in all that time and do all those roles that you've done for the club?
0: It's, it's not so much a a motivation. It's you kind of see something that needs to be done. And and as you mentioned about the volunteers that put so much into the club and, uh, and you see people doing that and some people need help to do it. No one does this stuff on their own. So you, you kind of uh, crack on. Um, There's a, there's a couple of things that I, I've seen over the years that, that sort of uh, had impact on me and sort of said that I should do a little bit more. Uh, one of those was um, uh, I went to Chris Ball's uh, funeral, so bully, and we have the bully's tens in his name coming up. And I remember being in the church listening to stories of all the things he'd accomplished. Now, I knew him as a player and a pretty fast prop for a, a big chap. Um, uh, and he was good friends with my sister. Um, and, and so I knew some of the things he was involved with, some of his interests and stuff like that. And people just started listing off that he's done this and he's done that. Um, like the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, the scouting stuff he'd done, the rugby club stuff he'd done. And I just, I burst into tears. I was just, I'm, I just could not believe that it, someone who died in their 20s was had, had covered so much and you just I, I, I mean I as he as he was carried out of the church people just clapped it was just it was immense but um it, I remember going home and talking to Linda at the time and uh and just going well, what am I doing I'm not doing anything like that um and he just realized that he's he's just a guy who got on with stuff and and did it and I thought well I can do that I can do more and so I, I, don't, I wasn't doing anything beforehand but it's just it just inspires you to do more and to make an impact where you can and uh and get involved in that so so i do and it's fun (laughs) it is fun and you get to know lots of people and work with lots of people that you would never work with normally so so why not
1: yeah no that's great i mean like so we had to see with with dean with dean reed and and Mm -hmm. same age group as me and like you said there it's it's a good point, you know, these people that are involved with the club and it's their passion and you sit back and look at it and you think, wow, you know, these guys, you know, they're, they're great people and they, they do a lot, they love the club and I think people, you know, people do really attach to Harlow Rugby Club and they've got such, so many good personalities and, you know, it does inspire you. And then, you know, and the things that you do inspire people and other volunteers in this club, they inspire other people other people to do more things and to like I said, take risks or, you know, help out even more, which is great. Okay. Um, so just kind of moving away from that subject a little bit. So what about your work life? What do you do for a job, Paul? <laughs>
0: Oh, a man of mystery. Go to, travel You're to like different a child countries. A job
1: don't you? Like the no, no <laughs> whole uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. But basically, my job is uh, I work for a company called Deloitte, and in Deloitte, we need to protect our brand on a global basis. And my job is to to make sure that we're doing that in the way that we should do from a cyber technology point of view, and to to to, to try to keep the bad guys out and make sure that we're doing everything we should. Uh, so that takes me to meet lots of people in lots of countries all over the world except when covid hits and you have to sit at home and you have to do it on zoom all day and all night and uh, and that sort of thing so um that in a nutshell is is, is what i do and, and why i travel so much
1: is there any thinking like what you do for a living that you take into rugby because i always find it's an interesting question because i usually find well usually it's this bipolar like you've got people that a certain person that do a certain job and you can see it on the pitch and then some people that just nutters and as soon as they cross that white line they're a completely different personality Mm -hmm. anything that you do from a living that you think translate into sort of the the person yeah
0: i mean my first experience of this was um early in my the the management part of my career was taking some of the things that we were doing as a team um at the the club and taking them to work so when Graham Richards was coaching us, he gave, gave us some uh, materials to read and stuff like that, which I don't think everyone read, but I did. And, and we had the, the, the sort of, it wasn't so much a motto, but sort of a, a belief underneath it, that team stands for every, together, everyone achieves more, which is not, <laughs> it's not new or anything like that. But it made me take what we do as a club or a team at the time, into my work environment and say guys this is what we're going to do no one here has to be the best person at everything we can all be good at different things and we can all draw on different people different skills and bring that together and so the that 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 sort of transferred from rugby to work and then taking it back again, I learned to be a, a leader at work and, and get things done. And then I took that back and became a leader in the the, the first team and then, a, and then first team captain and stuff like that. So that that's gone both ways all the way through my my career and um we lots that we have lots of corporate and social responsibility uh, at work well community rugby clubs are corporate and social responsibility oh. and so what i do there transfers back to what we do now um so 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 there's there's this they saying that there's um in my early days i kept my work life my <laughs> rugby life quite separate yeah. uh there wasn't quite so, so much social media back then um but uh, i kept them very separate and as i matured through the the ranks i needed to learn to give stuff of a part of me away to people i was working with so that they would learn to trust me and to take me forward and since i did that it's it's, it's exploded the sort of the connections i have the trusted relationships i have with people now at work just have gone through the roof um, and it's really a blend of of both the, the work life and the, the rugby
1: life yeah it's interesting to say that I, I completely agree with you I think that you know it, they go both hand in hand and they help each other because like you said you know especially things like confidence and team you know teamwork ethic you know you can carry that into your into your job and then like I said the skills you learn leadership and you know controlling and managing a group of people you can take into rugby so you know that's why it's great I mean you, you we'll talk about this in a bit but you know you know like how important those skills are for developing young lads because they will take that into their adult life. Yeah. Um, will talk about that in a bit. So um, what rugby teams do you support, Paul? Well, um, people will be amazed to
0: know that I support Wales and uh, have <laughs> wow. given out quite a lot of stick to everyone recently. Did, did, I mean, did you watch that game of interest uh, a couple of <laughs> weeks ago? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard you dissect it with uh, James Lewis as well. Which is I, we could do it again if you want, I don't mind. But... Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, uh, my da- uh, mum and dad uh, grew up in a place called Burry Port in uh, Wales, which is uh, very close to where the Scarlets play. Um, and so I kind of grew up going to Scarlets games. I actually was there when the Scarlets beat um, Australia um, and uh, was fortunate enough with about 50 other people to carry Phil Davis off the pitch there. But uh, so I got really into the, to the Scarlets, which is interesting because... They're not a team that wins an awful lot of the time, um, and uh, but but I have a, a affinity with them. But I like watching rugby, so I will watch any of the the, the Premiership uh, games. Um, uh, clearly, watch Harlow and support Harlow. But it uh, was taken as red being on this podcast. But um, I love a trip to France to watch the Top Fourteen. Um, particularly, I, I, I like. I like, I like just watching lots of different teams that are playing and and you, you see that what they're doing and you can steal some of their ideas and and you use that. I mean, I, I particularly like Bath at the moment. I think they've got some incredible players. How they're not winning more games, I do not know. Um, Exeter have got good stuff going on and, and uh, have changed that automatic kicking for goal every time a penalty comes in. But they're just barging forward for the line and, and having some success there. And that's, that's something new that, that a lot of teams weren't doing for, for a long time. So... Um yes yeah, there's, there's quite a few players uh, or teams that I like watching, and I'll yeah. even take I'll even take the kids to see Saracens from time to time because they're because uh, uh, it's local uh, as well. They're not my favourite team, but then that's that's neither here or there. I'll go and watch.
1: That's fair. What would you say? You're a modest Welsh fan.
0: <laughs> modest? No, no, no. are
1: <laughs> no. no, I'm I'm very much in your face
0: all the time. I mean, yeah. I, I I kind of put this down to I grew up supporting rugby first of all the late 80s and Wales were terrible and every time they got a good player they went north and and played rugby league Uh, and so I got lots and lots of stick early on about being Welsh and uh, and all that sort of thing and so um, ever since I'll I'll support uh, Wales and anyone that's playing England
1: yeah (laughs) because I mean you're quite well known for the the club you're almost the biggest wind-up when it comes to Welsh support (laughs) Oh, You're yes. very good at it, though. I'll give you a You're <laughs> very good at the skins when it comes to your, your bloating and. You know, I,
0: I, I get plenty in return as well, which is which is very uh, very well deserved. So yeah, uh,
1: yes, that's fair, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. Right.
1: Okay. So let's talk about your your rugby life then. So you know this. Um, you know I don't want to go too far back. But, you know what, what made you get involved in the game, and then what what are your links to the club. You know as you, you grew through.
0: Uh, so my, my first taste of rugby was playing at junior school. I was in the same class at junior school as a guy called David Stradling or La La or Teletubbies, or whatever you want to call, call him. And uh, our teacher at the, t- at the time was a guy called Nutty Norris. And he, he said, you're playing touch rugby, there we go, get on with it. And at the time, there wasn't lots of rugby on the, on, on the TV, but you watched Wales and I thought, well, if he's got the ball, you smash him. And I smashed Dave Stradling and then got carried in by my ears for, this is a touch game of rugby. It's not a contact game of rugby. Like, but that's what they do on the telly, sir. And uh, that was my first uh, uh, experience of rugby. But um, I was terrible at football. I had spoons for feet, really. And um, uh, I went to, away to Hot Crawl boarding school. And I was like, I'm playing rugby. I'm playing rugby. Rugby is going to be my game. And I got stuck in to, to, to playing. Had some success while I was playing at Hot Crawl. But it was only a small school. Um it's uh, <laughs> I moved schools in what year is year nine now to Mark Hall, and I was terrible. I was not I was not in the same league as the, the players around me at Mark Hall, but I nagged my dad to take me to the club, and uh, he took me down one night, and I joined a team and really had to persevere to get into the side there. I mean, I was I was a rotated player, you know, sort of playing a third of a game, uh, or two thirds of a game each week on the wing. Uh, for, for, for a long time uh, before I was able to sort of move into the back row and that was by accident. We just turned up to a, a game one day up in uh, Shelford and uh, we were short of back row player and I said, I'll give it a go and that was it. That was the, the launch pad to, to the rest of my rugby career and uh, things really took off from there really and, uh, I, but I, I, my, I was determined all the time that rugby was going to be my game because I was so poor but football I couldn't I just couldn't play football and I and I was quite sporty I did lots of different things but I could I, I was just so bad at it and I wanted to play a team game and I, I decided rugby was my game by hook or by crook and uh, it, I, it wasn't down to ability it was going to be sheer perseverance I was playing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right bro. so then so you started to go down Harlow and then obviously started to develop there what was um, so when did you start to sort of get involved with the first team
0: um, so first team time was, I would have been 19, 20. So just out of Colts um, and coming into the, the the first team squad. And um, yeah, it was about that age, sort of late, mid, late nineties. Um, and uh, yeah, just got, just kept training, kept training. Me, Kerry, Palmer and and uh, Paul Prendiville, all from the same team, were all pushing very hard to, uh, sort of get into the team. We played a lot of second team rugby together uh, to, as we were pushing, but we kept pushing and pushing and pushing to, to get into the, the side. We had a couple of coaches then, um, Ray Harris and Paul um, Clegg or um, Sooty, uh, that, that tried to encourage me to play in a second row. And I was pretty skinny at the time, which is hard to believe for a lot of people nowadays. But uh, um, he said, You could probably put your, your future probably lies in the second row. And I, I wasn't sure. Um, but they were convinced and they pushed me and uh, they started to lift me in the line out when some people won't remember this you didn't used to be able to lift in the line out and um, we had two guys Michael Nutt and Reg Grafton playing in the second row and they were pretty much untouchable Nutty would run for a brick wall for, for everyone and Reg Grafton was hard as nails and won pretty much everything jumping forward in the line out but lifting had come in and Pete Keeling said to me, I'll lift you up and lifted me up three times, I think it was. And Reggie was who I was jumping against, stolen the ball each time. And uh, Reggie walked in off training and never played again. And uh, he said the game's moved on and I'm not I'm not moving on. And and that was really my opening to the the first team, I guess. And and yeah. John Locke was throwing the ball in and I was catching it and it was working very well, very effective. And a lot of teams, to be fair at the time, weren't lifting in the line out. So it made me look even better.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, must, it was, must have been a massive transition at that point, especially the old still game play and, you know, obviously the lightweight of the players as well. And obviously there was a lot more open game there and also a lot more of offload, a lot more keeping the ball alive. Obviously, the game's moved on again, you know, really since then. You know, What do you think the biggest sort of changes to, say, like the game now to maybe in your sort of era of playing?
0: Um, so there, just before uh, Graham Richards came to the club, we were in an Eastern Counties Cup final. I didn't actually make the squad that day. Uh, I think Prindy might have done, which will probably remind us forever. Uh, but... Um, uh, the, we watched the game back, and there was no structure to the play. When Graham came in, we we had a lot more structure. We had uh, set calls. We knew where we were supposed to be. We knew what areas of the pitch we were trying to attack. Um, and even though we won that Eastern Counties Cup, it was the first one it was videoed, so it was the the, the the we could all watch it back and just go, "What are we doing?" And we're <laughs> all over the place. And, and it, it all got much more structured. So how how that's changed to today is there is much more. Uh, sort of fluid of movement of the ball. The ball moves a lot more across the, the park. The skill level of the players, uh, at regardless of what level you look at, has gone up. You, you, you Props can pass. Um, second rows um, aren't just running straight forward all, all the time. They're much more integrated. They're looking for lines to run off backs as opposed to picking up the ball from a base and, and smashing into people. Um or off nine, they're, they're they're running a lot further out, which takes a, a lot more fitness. And uh, dare I say it, there's probably a le- lot less violence in the game now than there than there was back then. Um, and yeah, you've almost uh, played
1: violence for, for, for the technical side of the game. It's a lot more technical, and there's a lot more actually laws making it harder to cheat. Mm-hmm. Oh, hence why, like the body weight around the yeah. break, as a nightmare. You know, even myself, I've been at the game for three years now. I would struggle as a seven a little bit mm-hmm. because I used to, you always try to pin to the ball and now that's taken away. So it is hard because it's actually always adapting. And I think sometimes, you know, players that played in an old era, it is it, quite shocking how much it is different. And like points just made there, like I said, all round play as well. And how rounded you do the FPs play. You can't just be a good scrummager anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to replay, know if you should need to commit to bucks, know what you are in the terms of the system. So you you're absolutely bang on with all of that. The um, So... Um, can we talk about your captaincy? Because obviously this is, this is you know, obviously something you must be very proud of and you were captain for quite some, some time at the club. Do you want to talk to me about how you were selected as captain?
0: Uh, it was uh, uh, kind of by accident to start off with. Um, we uh, had a, a season, Alan Yates came in to coach us um, and Richard May had been Elected captain. It used to happen at the AGM every year. you would elect the captains for the the different teams. Uh, And this is the last year that that happened. Richie was elected in as captain, but then very quickly fell out with Alan Yates when Alan Yates came in to coach and left the club. Um, And then we were in the changing room before our first game and Alan Yates uh, was playing prop for us at the time as well. Um, Just said, I've appointed Lee Smith as captain. And... uh, um, and so I've got a lot of respect for firemen and stuff like that. So Lee Smith is captain. Yeah. And and for all the players around to not have had a say in that was interesting and, and uh, came about, but Lee captained us for the, the first half of that season. Uh, and then it came to sort of a, a game. I, for, I, for, I forget. We were I remember being at home and in the, the, the first team change room at the old club and... Um, and so Lee saying I'm not available for a few weeks for whatever reason I, I forget, but we need to find a, a, a new captain. And uh, pretty much uh, there was a, there was a bit of a discussion, but I remember James Grover standing up and going, "Look, we all know Onions are captain, but there you go, job done. They, there's no conversation about it, and, and there we go, because it was just almost natural that I'd taken on that um, that role. Lee had been playing on the wing beforehand, I was up in the forwards, and then for the rest of that season, I, I was captain and then it stayed that way for a couple of years after that. Um, when uh, when Alan Yates left and Matt Davis came in, I think um, it stayed that way for two years and Nick Ford took it took it over for a year uh, and left and then I took it back on again when Lee was the, the sole coach and then my work was getting too crazy and I, I was beating myself up about not being at training and um, uh as much as i'd like anyway i was trying to make as much as i could but i couldn't be there as much as i'd like and um uh i stood down i think sean roberts took over from me so and then that that a
1: decade later he stopped being captain (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so it's any captains a couple things around the captain so was anything that uh any captains that you drew any inspiration from when you were a captain that you was kind of taking from that you felt that was the right way to be as a, as a captain leader of the team?
0: Yeah I mean I did a lot of reading around the time and, and uh, Graham Richard had given us a book that was written by Sven Goran Erickson it was called Football by Sven Goran Erickson it was, it was like almost written for kids um, sort of thing so I, I suited it down to the ground, and, uh, and I'm I, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it talked about what, uh, what it meant to be part of a team, what it meant to be a leader in a team, uh, and how he had sort of, uh, taken things. So I took some, something from that. Um, and then I read, um, uh, Clive Woodward's book after the 2003 World Cup and it talked about when he was at London Irish how he, he wanted to make it feel special to be part of the, the team and he took that even further when it came to the England thing and, and you're probably familiar with it now but when you weren't going to the England changing rooms you've got wooden sort of shelves for all your stuff and it has your name and it has your shirt up and everything like that uh, and I thought that's a great idea I need to make it feel special at the club for when people get promoted into the first team it needs to feel like a special environment. And I took that and said, okay, how are we going to do this? Well, one of the things was put music on in the change rooms, which you'd never done beforehand. One of the things was then put your name above your, um, uh, your peg where, where you were and, uh, and then you sort of one to 15 and then the subs were, were, were on, uh, on the wall and your, your shirt was hung up when you came in. Now, I started that off. Wendy Ellis and Kev Ellis took that on and took it to the next level with uh, how good the signs looked and how uh, uh, there, there was bananas and sweets and, and clothes cloves or socks and shirts and socks shirts and um, shorts there for you. They took it on to another level. But I, I kind of started that because I wanted it to feel special for people. It wasn't helped that we were also struggling. Uh, as a first team at the time and they lost a number of players and slipped down the leagues a bit. And so I felt it needed to be um, re-energised. It needed to be sort of brought back in that rugby's fun. But it's also, we've got a serious job to do while we're here and, and to make it feel special to be involved in that group. And I wanted people to to want to be involved in that group. Uh, in some of the leaner times, it was difficult to get players sometimes. And I was making phone calls on Saturday mornings to try and get people to to come along to games. And that was me trying to change that around and and, and sort of say, no, oh, it is important to be part of the first team. It is, it is an honour to be out there representing the club at the highest level there. Um And taking it on. And that sort of motivated me to try and change some of those things.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's good advice, isn't it? I think that, you know, as you said, as a captain, you've got to read the situation. Like I said, that early era was like I said, that Harlow was going through a bit of a transition, wasn't it? And they dropped a few levels. So you you can't stop beating people up because you're already getting beaten up, you know, in terms of performances. So you're right, like adapt and make it go back to basics, make it enjoyable. It it sounds like, again, you had it hold If there's like sort of the years of where I was captain, as you were sort of, do you find yourself improving and how did you find yourself like getting better as a captain as the years went by? Was it like sort of things that you found yourself you were different captain year one to you know year three or year four and how you changed? Yeah,
0: I mean I used to wing a lot of it um, to start off with. I used to to make up what I was going to say before a game um, as it got closer to the sort of i'd, I'd learned there were key points i wanted to bring out and so i'd actually make notes about what i wanted to say and so I, i'd sneak off to my peg look in my pocket have my little notes there that's what i want to say that's important say that and then go out um i wish i'd kind of done that earlier in my career uh to be fair but uh, it would be absent-minded of me to sort of not say that there was the on the pitch stuff and then there was the off pitch stuff as well uh and i really wanted people to to want to be involved and so the, the off the field stuff became quite fun as well i wanted the long coach journeys to be good times to get to know people to bring people together and use that as a, a an opportunity sometimes i went too far and uh, went a bit, a bit overboard but it, i didn't see my role then uh, as being part of just on the on the field it was off the field uh, uh, as well um which, which which, was interesting because um, we, we'd gone from an era where you elected your club at the AGM to the players were choosing who the, the, the captain was or or the, or the coach was seeking input from players and, and appointing um, uh, uh, the captain. And that idea of club captain started to get a bit lost and there were there, there were some expectations of me as a captain to, to do more than I was doing, which I found really difficult and... Um, I remember one conversation sitting in a bar. How come you know my son here? Because he's in the uh, development stuff, and um, and you don't know my other son over there. You should be at the rugby club every Sunday to watch them all play. And I was like, I can't be. I can't do that. I, I was like, I'm here three times, four times a week anyway. I can't do Sundays as well. That's my only day without any rugby, and my body's in pieces on Sundays most of the time. But uh, but it did. It, it it really it opened my eyes going back to that leadership thing about not just what I thought was important but what other people thought was important for me to be doing as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it mate to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's carried over. I mean, it's interesting that you started all of that stuff with the change rooms and, you know, like I said, that, that importance of being selected because we have that now. It's, it's still carried over to the, the current first team and, you know, it, it is prestigious to, to play for Harlow and, and I think, you know, that that feeling is still there and I think it's important like that those, those foundations were set years and years ago. Um, so what was it like um, for you? Um, what did it mean to, to you to be actually captain?
0: I, 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 I was incredibly proud. I would tell everybody that I was first in captain. I was, I still do. I still, I, yeah, I I'd, I'd still, i uh, I mean, I said I didn't keep everything. Uh, I kept my lives apart uh, at work a little bit, but. Um, you can't really do that when you've got a black eye on a Monday morning and stuff like that. So, so there were parts that, that that some people did know, but I would say, look, I'm I'm not just your average player. I'm a I'm a uh, first team captain, and I remember that there was one incident, uh, not incident, but I was up for promotion at work, and I got offered tickets to go to Ascot, which I thought was a, a big corporate thing that it was going to be me being tested out are you good enough to get to the next level can you deal with a bigger environment and stuff like that and it clashed it was an early september game uh, uh, uh meeting i was and i didn't really want to go uh, i was like we've got a first team game uh, like i play rugby first and everything else is second i mean everything i do is kind of uh, work and then rugby um, and but we i i thought I should and so I took the tickets and went to the to the game um or to the horses and then the, 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 a week later um I'd realized that it was just literally well done you've done a good job here's some tickets and I felt so incredibly guilty that I'd been away from the team for that week that afterwards I was like here you go guys here's beers on me here's the jugs and stuff like because I'm sorry I wasn't around last week I think we lost as well and uh, and back then, if you lost a game in September, you weren't winning the league, and it was like it was it was depressing. Uh, yeah. that, that that's what you we were chasing, and uh, uh, I felt so difficult. And but we had a good journey up uh, or back rather from Ipswich after that. Um, having consumed quite a few beers and stuff like that, but I did. Uh, it, it meant everything to me, and it was it was a really important thing to to for me to have done and to. Uh, have put some things in place that it's nice to hear are still working now
1: I've kind of half heard you on some of the podcasts sort of how does it feel now because obviously you were so involved to then like walk away and stop playing and then you know still sort of, what's your involvement now I know you don't you don't watch many for games do you because <laughs> kind of, you know, well you know, I'm a bit hard. I'm a bit better at it now
0: um, but the, I mean I retired because my back went and I couldn't play anymore the, the surgeon that had sort of seen me before said you do realize that i'm hiding the pain i'm not getting rid of it uh, and he said you should give up rugby now and i was 39 and i had this ambition to play rugby until i was 40 which was led by kenny gladden uh, because kenny gladden was in the first team at 40 and i thought well if he can do it i can do it and and that was a a goal of mine um but then i stopped and it was like end of one season didn't intend to retire didn't make the start of the next season, didn't do pre-season, was, oh, didn't miss pre-season to be fair, um, but uh, came in and then I, I came along, I was running touch and I felt so close to the thing and we need to do this, we need to do that. And all of the stuff was still very fresh in me. And I was just way too, I'd got. I, I come away angry, frustrated, wanting to play again, knowing I couldn't play again. And it, it really, it really tore me up a little bit. And um and so I, did, I tried to do that, going to see some other games. I used to wander up and down the, the, the touchline and people would still talk to me. I couldn't stand still while watching the game. I was, it was like I was still a player. And then I, I, for my own sanity, I think, I had to stop coming down and, and watching. Um, I couldn't watch the first, team, the first team playing because it was, it was tearing me up. Um, mm-hmm. And this is, this is something that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. It becomes such a big part of your life that when it's gone, just like that, you you struggle. Uh, you, you've got nothing really to replace it with. And I do. I've done some talks about this on mental health at work and sort of the the adjustment that you go through. It's it's a big life-changing thing. Right? My, my my week was. Monday go for a run, Tuesday train, Wednesday probably work late, Thursday yeah. train, Friday don't go on the beer because you've got to got rugby next day, Saturday play. All of a sudden, yeah, you lose your routine,
1: don't you? It was
0: gone. Uh, I just worked. I mean, yeah. And uh, I just worked a lot and and in Sundays I'd be coaching with the the minis at the time. But it's not the same. It's yeah. just
1: I feel, I feel your pain on it, mate. I, I went through the exact same process we, 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 when I was at Harlow. I desperately tried to play, and as most people know, I was kept getting injured, and I was told I shouldn't, and I kept trying to, to push the body. But beyond it, what you could take, and it was really hard. And I, I'm glad you said to work mental health because I know how hard it is, and I, know, I speak to a lot of ex players, and they all found it really hard. Because you know, is your identity. You you identify mm-hmm. with the game. It's kind of who you are. Like you said there, you, you have your job, but somehow your captaincy and your playing was priority over most things. And mm-hmm. so when that suddenly just stops, it is it's definitely a hard transition. And for me, when I stopped, um, you know, I I went I I went straight being involved. And I remember even as like at the time, I was only a co-coach. Mm-hmm found it hard because, you know, I wanted to play, I wanted to be on the pitch. And, you know, I had to channel that energy from wanting desperately to be helping the team physically to try and help the team yeah. on paper instead. And obviously now it's sort of now been involved for coaching three years that's calmed down now and now because i'm involved and i'm using that energy in a different way and uh, you know it, it feels mm-hmm. much better and easier to support but i completely understand that transition is, is, is really really hard um really just, I, I want to bring up that thing you said about your age So it's playing to 39 so it, I, when i when i come back to harlow and i was so i played when i was obviously 17 i played with you and then i come back 10 years later and there are still guys playing that were in the first team when I was 17. And they, you know, these guys, I mean, it's only just recently just happened where loads of guys are now fall off and they've retired for, for obvious reasons. But what is that special glue at Harlow to have to just make guys play for long eras and stay <laughs> with the club as well? Because there is a loyal membership base there. And also these guys don't stop, they keep playing and playing and playing on. What is what why has that happened at Harlow? Because I've been i you know I've been around a lot of clubs and guys come and go. Harlow's got this amazing <laughs> length of time that guys stay and, and dedicate. So what, what, what do you think that's down to? Um, so the, I mean, the,
0: the, there's a there's a couple of things. So when I started my career, Harlow were in London 1. And so as we slid down a few leagues, it was kind of a bit easier to stay in the first team um, at, at that level. Uh, and I've been a bit uh, disingenuous there in, in saying that, but um, that, that was definitely part of it. We weren't playing at the same Level and I don't know if I could have played at the the, the London one level till I was 39 or whatever. Um, we we've had problems with people coming through and and uh, uh, to challenge us and uh, I, I I remember uh, a couple of guys coming through the the, the youth section um, and, and they say right I'm coming to take you on. In fact, Jumbo was. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm taking you on, I'm yeah. taking you on. I was like, all right, you can take me on. Uh, and uh, and he did, he hit me hard. We, we, but there were other things that he'd do and he'd just say, I can't get near you. How do I, how, what's going on there? And I'm like, well, this is what's happening. This is the reading the situation and stuff like that. And it's taken time for, for kids to transition into that senior level, I think when I interviewed Luke Barry uh, the other day, and uh, <laughs> he said to, he said to me, and you hit you hit me <laughs> like that." And it, I was very proud to be in that first team. And if you wanted my position, you had to really challenge for it. And people did. And James Grover came in, jumped better in the line out than me. John Credland came in um, and was tougher than me. Uh, and he said, oh, I want your position?" I was like, "Good, you could, you got to take it off me because you're not just going to have it." And uh, and I was the same with with anyone that came in. Um, and so I had to adapt as well. I didn't always play in the second row. I played in the, the back row. Um, I even played in the center a couple of times, but, but not very often. Uh, <laughs> won't be right, is that, that, did, is it, that the same?
1: Do you think the same story for the other guys that stayed on for so long? Is is it that just that that wanting to remain in the team and always competing and having that little edge of people coming through and then fighting for the spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always spurred me on whenever there's been competition, it's always spurred me on. I think it has spurred others on Uh, I mean, there is, I I think a lot of us get to a point where you can't do it three times a week uh, as much as we were um, uh, from a training point of view um, and, and playing sort of thing. But you, 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 you learn coping mechanisms. Like, yeah. I, I remember being incredibly sore on Sundays. Well, not so much on a Sunday, because normally the booze had sort of nulled the pain a bit on a Sunday. But on a Monday, being really sore, but then making sure that by Tuesday evening, I was pretty much okay again to train again and go again. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that you you do, and in the latter part of my, well, mid, mid to latter part of the, the career, ice baths were, a big thing and they made a big difference to my recovery times and stuff like that but you you just you learn to to keep yourself going I was um the Jack Knoll at Exeter was talking about these cryo chambers on one of the podcasts I listened to with, with him in it and, and he's he's doing the modern day equivalent of what I was doing he's like how can I keep going and how yeah, yeah. I mean I did have injections in my back to make my back that pain go away that I mentioned but You do what you can to keep yourself going. And I wanted to play. The desire was always there to play. And if I couldn't train in the evening, we had a gym at work, I'd go to the gym at at lunchtime. And I hate the gym. (laughs) Absolutely. The only reason for me going was to play rugby. That was the motivation. I want to be in the first team. That guy's coming for my position. I want to be there. And is is that what Sean Roberts did? Sean Roberts has done pretty much the same. I think he's played into his 40s now. Yeah. um, no, he's not. Sorry, he's only thirty-two. Um,
1: but, <laughs> yeah. but, thirty-two for uh, ten years. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's keeps himself in incredible shape. Um, yeah. so, no, the, I think mean, one,
1: one thing yeah. I definitely noticed as well. I mean, definitely yeah. all that competition. But another thing, I, when I come back into the setup what impressed me with Harlow was that. Um, I think one of the reasons why you guys stuck together for so long and you guys gave such long eras in the first team is that there's that unbreakable bond. You know, there's guys that really could stick together for many years. And I think, you know, it's not... Because I've played in teams where you, you just played as colleagues almost or you, you're just teammates. But, you know, a lot of these guys are hollow. They're friends and they're rugby players. And they, yeah. and they actually love each other and they socialise together. And, you know, that's their world. And I think, you know, essentially no one wants to walk away from that bond and that friendship so people stay together and stick it out despite like you said then they go to the gym as they're getting older so they can still keep playing it was that focus to keep going and staying with your, your boys essentially yeah which impresses me the same that we're trying to do with our first team now and and we are getting back to that of that identity that we're a group and we identify together as, as not just players but close friends that want to go on a bit of a journey together. Yeah. Um, so th- this. So let's talk about your, so now you. So now you've done the captaincy and obviously, you, like you said, you, you retired because you, your back was completely gone. And so then you moved into coaching uh, at, at Harlow. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? So do you want to tell me a bit more about your, yeah. your coaching, what you do? It, it was
0: by accident, really, because um, my kids were coming through and going to Rugger Bag Pugs with uh, which Andy Peasy was taking. He was also Minnie's chair at, at the time. Uh, and so I was still playing uh, when Owen was getting to the point where he was going to go from bugs to, to minis. And I can't say I ever enjoyed my coaching experience when I was captain. Uh, it was like, guys, we've got to do this, this, and this, and then we can go on. Uh, um, coaching for me wasn't something that uh, I was terribly keen on. And then um, Andy Peasy came to me and said, look, we need an under sevens coach next year. Uh, and I was I don't don't really want to Andy this is too much responsibility have you seen how much paperwork there is with all the kids management and, and stuff like that and then you've got a coach and I'm still playing and I like a beer on a Saturday night that's my recovery thing so that means you're going to get me out of bed and he said this is Sunday morning Paul and you've already got out of bed and we're doing bugs. you're just going to be doing it outside and I was like oh yeah that's true maybe maybe he said and you know you're going to be watching your son playing anyway yeah that's true and you know you're going to be thinking that you can do it better than them yeah that's true as well so I'll, I'll damn I'm, I'm coached in or talked into it with Pete Westbrook at the time um, and totally because Toby was coming through at the, the, the same age as Owen and, and I was absolutely terrified. It it was so daunting coming in to to do that. I remember going and asking so many different people, what do we do? How do we do it? How does this work? How does that work? Uh, I think maybe Alan uh, Alan Maddox had just previously been mini chair. I remember talking to him. Uh, I remember talking to, uh, well, Andy Peasy as well, but uh, anyone I could and stealing any ideas I could. And and Pete and I said, well, we we can't just turn up September the 1st and coach people and, we held a give mini rugby a try day for what was the under sevens. So the first one we turned up, it was absolutely hammering down with rain, so we cancelled it and said we're doing it next week instead. And then we had our first, first mini give mini rugby a try day, which has sort of gone from strength to strength and recruited lots of players for our mini section over the years. And so that was that was how I got into it kind of reluctantly. Um, and then once you're in. You're in, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you're following a team through, which is what essentially I've been doing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I, honestly, I, I think it's amazing, like knowing these stories of how teams develop and like you said, because you've been involved since I was kids, you've seen, you know, these these young guys growing to sort of young men, and you know that's, it's a big journey for a coach because let's be honest, yeah, of course, there's a lot of it to do with the coaching, especially when they get to sort of obviously the enjoyment side is so important, but as especially they get towards the sort of more development side and we're trying to turn them into sort of better players you have to keep adapting as a coach and also your support network around those players. Cause you know, a lot of these kids look up to look up to their coaches and mm-hmm. you're a big deal in terms of how you present themselves. And those kids are going through big changes all the time, you know, as they're growing up. So it must be some amazing, you know, viewpoint for you to see all these young lads develop into the, the guys that they are developing to the players they are Um, is there anything like um, that stands out for you in terms of like as a coach what's what's your most fulfilling thing about being a coach and doing it for so long
0: the 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 fulfilling thing about the the coaching thing you know I say it could be the most frustrating and the most wonderful job all in the same day Uh, and you have spent ages in training coaching kids to do x y and z Um, and then you see you see them either mess it up and you think, oh, I've taught you how to do that. You could do that better, and you encourage them and cheer them up. Or, or then they go and do it, and and you think, oh wow, they, they they've done that. They've learned that because I've taught them it, and and that's that's really good. But then you see the next bit where they start to learn that they they're confident in what they're doing. So they try something new. Um, or they they the first time I saw one of the kids do a reverse pass out the back of their hand, I'm like, who taught you to do that? No, none, none of us have taught you to do that. But they were confident in their ability, and say I'm in the space. That person's out there. I'm going to try it. I've seen it on the telly or whatever, and 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 then seeing those boys push the well and girls, but push the the boundaries uh, and, and sort of develop is incredibly satisfying. More more recently, we've seen the team gel themselves, uh, and that's them all coming together, supporting each other in different situations, both on and off the pitch. And you think this is it. We're, we're getting there now. We've, we've got this group um, closer together uh, and and this is really sort of they're bought in and they, they're taking it forward. Uh, so you you plant all these different seeds. <laughs> some of them don't grow and you're sitting there scratching your why, head. Why, why does that not uh, grow? And some of them just absolutely blossom. And then some of the ones that you didn't see grow just start to blossom at a later stage and, and stuff like that. So my job is really to sort of make sure that they've got the room that when the time is right for them, that they can, and they can step forward, um, uh, and do that. It's, um, coaching is a really interesting thing because there's an element of the technical, there's an element of the social, there's an element of the, uh, uh, uh the teaming sort of thing that, that, that all comes together to, to make that happen. Um, and over the years, I've had I've been lucky. I, I, I've had a number of people uh, uh, sort of working alongside me. Um, like I had Terry Ayres, who was deputy head at um, uh, uh, St Nick's School uh, when he was here. He had a football background, but he had a teaching background. And when I was teaching those, or coaching those younger kids that. That really helped us sort of say, okay, how can we get the messages across? Um, and I had anyone that turned up in boots or wellies or anything, here's a whistle, I need your help. And I'd get them, drag, drag those people in to, to help. And that doesn't work all the way through the, the, the sort of minis and youth piece, because as you rightly said, they grow, they, they push the, the boundaries, they become um, uh, more demanding on you as a coach and they want to learn, more things they're not always the same people can provide all of that uh, and that's where I was I've been fortunate enough to bring in like uh, Ian Rundle um, first team player and, uh, and uh, well I used to play with him as well but if we cast our minds that far back but uh, uh, he's come in he, he's he's massively gone he's invested a huge amount of time in learning the technical side of things Uh, he's coaching at saris he's bringing that to us Uh, he's always watched all of the different um, coaching webinars before anybody else and he is really excelling in that uh, um, way i've got mark kent on board really brought a uh, for a big guy scary guy to play rugby against has really brought sort of uh, not only the the Uh, edge of our players but also being able to mentor some of the kids and bring them uh, uh, along and I've got Lee Harron as well that I've just badgered him for years and years and years to help me out now some of that's happened a little bit by accident, like talking to Kenty after an end of year season and saying, do you fancy doing some of this? And he said, yeah, why not? Let's get involved. Uh, where uh, Rundle was, uh, he was giving me a lift to the airport one day and it's like, do you fancy doing this? And it, it just happened. Uh, and I mentioned a Badger lead to death to, to get him on board. But uh, I, I was conscious that my rugby skills, my uh, um, the way I was approaching it wasn't everything it didn't cover all of the bases uh, and, and what i like to think that those three guys are bringing into the team at the moment is that different experience is that different way of doing it and it's building that team it's like when i was first team captain i was not the best player on the pitch never once i don't think <laughs> but was i the right person to bring people together to do it i'd like to think i was um and i'm doing i'm basically doing the same thing now um yeah uh, and uh i've brought those guys in and i'm I'm grateful to, to, to all of the people that are coached with me, like Stu Kelman, who was on one of our podcasts, um, now, now sort of leads the under-12s, uh, Nick Jacks, um, Jay I mentioned Terry, and they even got Simon Stovall in, uh, as a parent to help me out as well. But that all helped to get us to to where we are now. And we, I, I, I'm, I was lucky, but you, you seem to have nicked our manager now. And uh, <laughs> uh, n- n- <laughs> Nina is now no longer going to be our under-15s manager. She's going to be the first team manager, which is great news for her. But we haven't talked
1: transfer fees <laughs> well like you said mate you you've been trying picking like these very good people <laughs> i'm just doing the same with the ones i'm just trying to bring the best people in but yeah no yeah absolutely mate. i mean it's, it's exciting isn't it i mean look at that mm-hmm. level of, you know you've treated it like a project ain't you in the, the day yeah. it's like a big project and you're trying to bring the best guys into do the best jobs and that is really important part of coaching right is that you know you want to be able to you know use your skills the best you can your organizational skills your rugby knowledge in your certain fields but then to be able to then lean on other people because like all coaches we don't know everything Mm -hmm. and you know you never are and you should be able to utilize other people let them grow you know for me as a head coach you know I always said that I don't want to be doing all of the hands-on coaching I want to allow other coaches that know what they talk about to express themselves and do their thing and then we can then tweak and, and build each other up and you guys are really good you know i know that for example you guys are very uh, you self-review a lot and always trying to improve and you test each other as a coaching team and that happens for a lot of the age groups and it's you know for me it's really really nice to see and i know you see it as well because that leads to the next question actually so i know you've been involved into organizing these youth and mini get togethers mm-hmm. um can you just tell me a little bit more about that was i've been on the calls and um, you so how did it come about and and, and what, what are you guys up to and what's been going on
0: well, I guess the, the, the reason I started doing that was we are in this lockdown period and no one was getting any kind of rugby fix uh, uh, at all, really. And I just felt like there's a whole group of coaches out there that we weren't close enough to what was going on at the club. We weren't getting a chance to really interact with people that are making uh, some of the decisions uh, and sharing our, our points of view and, and getting things across. Uh, but also... Let's, let's make coaching better. We've got an opportunity here to to do that. And so I thought, well, if we bring this in, we can put together, first of all, build a community and, and get this group that don't normally focus on anything outside their own teams. Rightly or wrongly, it's not that they wouldn't, it was that there wasn't really the opportunity to do it. So you use it as an opportunity to bring that group together, build that community, and through that community, talk about the challenges we have as we move through the age grades and uh, introducing new things. What did we learn? How can we share that? What's the best practice? Um, and through that, we developed a coaching curriculum, which ultimately is there. We haven't actually used it so much yet because we haven't been back, but it's there for us to do it, and it's there for us, really, to put players at the centre of what we're doing and make them uh, supported by their coaches, by their parents, by their, the, the club and say, that these are the, the players that are at the centre of everything we're trying to do. This is our investment in the future, that these players are going to come through, trickle into our um, senior section over, over the years. But we're going to use the same terminology, we're going to use the same ideas right across the board, adapted to their age grade a uh, sort of ability, but give them goals, give them things that we can uh, get to, to to really improve the the overall picture and everything that we're doing there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's music to my ears. I mean I think we we, we sat down and we've gone through it prior to what this mm-hmm. coming about, and I you yeah. know like, that is perfect, isn't it? Is that's what we all want. We want the coaches to be able to express themselves and still do their own thing, but just be on the same page in terms of how we relate rugby to the players, and then that, that, that when they come through to the senior setup, that they're they're more than ready yeah um, and it's exciting you know, it, it's it's really just, it's only just started up, hasn't it it's only really
0: yeah.
1: getting going and i know we're going through this teaming process of a lot of you know a lot of there's a lot of discussions but hopefully when rugby comes back we can get to the main thing which is applying this this rugby rule book that we're putting in place and then um utilizing it and improving it as we go i think it it's it's easy
0: as a coach to just coach your team and be focused on your team it's a bit more difficult to do one up and one down which we've encouraged for for years to talk to the age groups around you but to do the whole picture and say actually this is what we're trying to achieve we're trying to achieve better players coming out of there more confident young men and women coming through our 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 system if we can do that and share that then this is win-win for for all of us we make the club really sticky to people at the same time that they want to come back and they want to do this stuff. Um, and even if they stop playing rugby, they they still will remember their time fondly and come back in one way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I completely agree. Completely agree. So, um I'm going to give you some sort of one more long question and I'll do some quick. <laughs> so we have been talking for a while and I'm sure people be fed up. by, by the so, uh, What, what, so what these podcasts, so how did they, they come about? Cause, and, and what's been the feedback? I mean, personally for me, I've really enjoyed them. And, you know, I think, you know, people are definitely listening to them. So what, what made you decide to do it and, and what's the feedback that you've had?
0: Uh, so I think, first of all, I thought uh, there's, there's got to be, some way that we can recognize the work that people that run in the club are doing. Uh, people often think that there's a black hole that's the club and things just happen. Oh, this has happened, and it's the club and stuff like that. And I thought, that isn't fair. None of these people signed up to manage in a COVID world and and, and the challenges that that has, has brought. So let's shine a light on excellent work that's going on, and then hopefully it'll inspire people to, um, to get involved themselves. Um, I'd also been listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, uh, that was something I found through the lockdown peak. There was just more content out there, more stuff that you could tune into and and you could learn. And I listened to a few rugby podcasts myself and I didn't know how to do a podcast, didn't have a clue. And so I put a message on the Facebook group and said, to, does anyone know how to do a podcast? And Alan Brooking got back to me and said, well, Ellen's done a few podcasts and stuff like that. She'll show you what to do. Um, and then next thing you know, I'm recording a podcast and it, it's going out. And I'm a technical geek as well. So there's a, there's a part of me that I don't know how that works. I want to learn how that works. Um, and it gave me an excuse to stop work and to do something like this, which is completely different. Um, and I've actually done some podcasts with my work as well now. Now I've got a bit more confident with it as well. So
1: it's uh, just that, that sort of mirrors. So um that's yeah, I mean. For me, for me personally, what I quite like about it is it just kind of just it, it, it spans quite wide. So you know you've got people from different eras talking about their memories about the club and it's important because sometimes it can be a bit disconnect, you know, with different age groups and like, it's nice that you come on you've got current first team coaches and you've had guys, you know, that have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. that have been involved into almost the start-up of the club and the big part of the history of, you know, how the club mm-hmm. began and and why we are where we are now so it is quite nice to allow people to try and cross over and just try, try to create some more connections, you know, it'd be nice to pass on at the rugby club and know a bit more of their backstory mm-hmm. and then having a conversation because we're all here, here, here for the same reason right, we, all, we love rugby and <laughs> yeah. (laughs) You know, we all want to support each other for all areas of looking back and being thankful for what we received or looking at the current first team and really supporting them because, you know, we're doing the same thing now. We're creating those exact same memories that you guys created 10 years Mm. ago. And now it's our turn for that little part of the journey and leave our little bit of history. Absolutely. what about that? Have you had any other feedback? Have you have you to speak to anyone about it? What's the, what's the feedback been?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the feedback. I mean, I, I'd like it to reach some people that it's not reaching at the at the moment, um, but uh, yeah, overwhelmingly, the, the feedback's been positive. Um, uh, it's a different way of doing things it's it's very new to people getting some of our older um club members on the club on, on the podcast has been challenging with the technology <laughs> and stuff like that but yeah. but th- this time around everyone's done a zoom call now but i shape will fall yeah, uh, and so it's it's a bit easier um but uh, uh yeah overwhelmingly it's been uh, positive. Uh, it's created a number of discussions in different groups as well, especially when people have picked teams um, uh, and their favourite teams and the disagreements yeah. on who that is mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. whatnot, which I think is great. It's just got people talking about. The club, the stuff yeah. that we do, and I, I, I'm really pleased to hear stories like that.
1: <laughs> I think people just remind us it's just opinions, isn't it? At the end of the day, <laughs> I, I think um, Alan Price always said to me when they used to do the club dinners and they used to do pick your best 15 you ever played with. There's no say no, no sheet the same, mm-hmm. and that just proves how you know how rugby so vast and how it creates different opinions from a lot of different people, which which is interesting. Um, so I'm gonna go for the quick fire now. So I just want it's. It's plain simple, like the answer and a little little behind it. OK, so who's the best coach that you've ever played under?
0: So if you want to be very quick, that's difficult. But uh, the best coach was probably Graham Richards. Uh, well, ta- did, that Graham Richards taught me an awful lot about uh, different things that I, I kind of alluded to earlier. But I've learned something from every coach and uh, the, that's been there, uh, even if it was just something little. Um Alan Yates taught me that if you put your hand on someone's ass in a line-out and you lean backwards as they come down, they can't get a drive-on. And so uh, no referee ever picked me up for doing (laughs) that. uh, that. So, I mean, that's just a little example. I've learned something from every coach, but I think Graham Richards stands out.
1: Um, So can you name some of the biggest influences you've had at the club?
0: So, I mean, off the the field, I mean, I mentioned about Bully earlier, um, but uh, off the field... Well, on the field as well, my first coach, Dave Sharp, uh, and then working with him later on, uh, certainly helped shape some of my thinking. Chris Locke uh, said something to me which really resonates, is that you support all of the players that come through the youth section. If they decide to go off and go somewhere else, um, that's great. We encourage them to play at the highest level they can, but when they're ready to come back, encourage them to come back as well. Uh, And so that stayed with me and something I've uh, been keen on.
1: Influenced um, me directly that one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mike Ryland, um, Ian Gallantry, I had on one of the podcasts earlier, and Ross Love. They, those guys. Um, when you you hear what their ambition was and what they they achieved, what they did, it just sows the seed to go. All right, then, that's what you did. What am I going to do? And. Uh, uh, any, anyone that's done something for the club and I've left out everybody that was involved in the move because they've got loads of uh, credit elsewhere on, on other pieces uh, as well but when, when people do things and you think that's a great idea well done for doing that that's inspired me to, to do my bit
1: uh, why does every podcast have a funny story about you um, abusing them in one way or another? <laughs> it sounds it you a podcast and none no didn't know you. They think you was a bully.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit, but I, I just, I just kind of say that that I work hard and uh, I play harder, um, yeah. and uh, so so yes, there are things that stories that come out. Normally, there's an amusing element to it as well because it was my downtime
1: and. Yeah. Uh, and I've had fun with it. <laughs> you, 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 you clearly get a kick out of winding people up, don't you? Because yeah, yep. it's part you of the isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, I, I get, getting underneath people's skin is just brilliant. And w- when they don't realise that I'm doing it, I, I just keep going. And uh, uh, when they realise that, they say, oh, you're just winding me up. They, yeah, I am. Sorry. Um, and uh, well, not sorry. I've never said sorry, uh, but uh, I quite happily, <laughs>
1: <laughs> quite happily do that. Uh, no it's great I mean it's part of the game isn't it teasing and muffing people mm. up and it does harden people up as well a little bit. I, this bit the game's changed a little bit now you can't do that stuff as much but you know back then it was you know did, I think it does help a little bit mm. um, so yeah um, i these, I'm gonna go for the ones that I've been sent in now because I've got a few sent in. <laughs> so the I'm gonna be to do the nice ones because some not some people are nice, <laughs> the most horrible. Um, what is the sort of the uh, best free first team players that you'd say you've played with? I know it's hard to put the best don't have to put in order, but the best free that stand out for you on the page. And I, I asked you for five of them, but I'm asking for three now.
0: Oh dear. So so the, so again, these are people that I've learned stuff from. Uh, John Locke was an excellent leader and never made a mistake that he admitted to. But he, he showed he, when we were doing that lifting in the line out. Um, he'd been doing it with Cambridge and with Saracens and sort of encouraged me to do it, which, which made me stand out. Alan Price, um, Algie Price was just a different class uh, as an outside centre. Uh, and then there's there's three others that I'd listed in the five. One was like Rhys Day, having played with him from youth to first team level, just a different gravy, um, really, just a class act. Uh, Trevor Boynton, who was a South African flanker that came over, um, just incredibly hard, and, and he told he told, he told me. We, we worked together for a bit as well because uh, I got him a job uh, at my place. And uh, he said to me, you're, you're worried about getting to training. What's all this training? We call it practice. It's just practice. right? We're going there to practice. And I was like, yeah, that stays. That makes some sense as well. Um, and the last one is a good friend of mine, uh, as you probably know, Lee Harron. If he could pass, he'd have been brilliant. But he couldn't. So. <laughs> he wasn't
1: (laughs) he was a brilliant player he was was brilliant
0: so i named five anyway sorry because you made me think about that in advance
1: (laughs) (laughs) no fair enough that's great okay so um we haven't talked about tours i know i I am already running out of time but you know we haven't really talked about tours now i've got one question in about a tour so saying that do you remember a story once where you a dress? um <laughs> Wales so yeah, I think he was 15 at the time it says so yeah can, can you can you tell us more about obviously being knowing this is a podcast that a lot of people listen to <laughs> yeah. yeah of the of the stories that, that I'm happy with that
0: one that, that's yeah, a on. very mild uh now we were on tour in Dunvant, uh in Swansea um and we uh had been out for I think uh a few drinks that we probably shouldn't have done at that age. But uh, we came back and we, we were fortunate to stay in this nice house, had a swimming pool and everything like that. Uh, and we were messing around. We opened some cupboard somewhere and there was just all these this stuff in there. And, uh, yeah, I put a dress on and ran across the swimming pool with the, the sort of soft cover and got stuck in the swimming pool.
1: I think I got stuck in the swimming pool. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I've got one more tour, one. Is it, uh, can you tell me about a tour, about anything to do with breaking someone's nose? Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. No, Prindy knows. Yeah, brilliant idea that was. Um, so the, the, Prindy, when he has too much to drink, he turns into a bit of a the the, the the character, the gambler sort of thing. Oh, I'm going to beat everyone up and I'm going to be silly and stuff like that. And and he and he'd had one of these things. He wasn't listening to anyone and he was doing all this sort of stuff. So he was getting really, 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 like single-minded in being an idiot. And it's like, oh, we've seen this all before. What's going on? So me... Friendy and uh, no, so me, Kerry and Graham Clark. How are we going to get this idiot to go home? Because he's go he's walking to the end of this car park and there's, it's a dead end. He's being a prat. <laughs> I put that mildly, didn't I? And, um, uh, and he says, "What? How are we going to get him home?" And someone said, "Someone said, oh, we should maybe knock him out and then carry him home." and i was like what happens if we don't knock him out oh he'll probably chase us then and we'll just run home and he's like all right let's do that anyone want to hit him me 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 i'll do it no problem and uh <laughs> so uh we go out and catch him up and he, uh, the others got him a turn around and i went smack straight on his nose uh and his nose just exploded with Blood everywhere, uh, and Kerry standing next to me going, Not on his nose, you should have hit him on the jaw. <laughs> and so uh, he was annoyed. He, he then sneezed all over Kerry's white shirt, and there was blood going all over it and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and then I was the
1: most hated man in the tour because I uh, had yeah. punched one of my own players. You say, you say you was hated. Was, did something happen in one of your bags because of that? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so Tom Webb, uh, we shared a room with Prindy, Kerry and Graham Clark, who always wet the bed. And uh, I think Tom Webb was in our room as well. Uh, and I came back and he'd uh, uh, defecated in my <laughs> in my bag. Yeah. Uh, and so I took <laughs> it across the road to
1: the car wash and put my bag through the car wash. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, right, so a few more. So, captaincy. Um, who was the worst player you had to captain? Or who, who, who was hard work? Hard work to captain. Actually, I, I, I've got.
0: There's a, there's a better story about hard work than the captain of, of players. I was on tour in uh, Nuki and. Um, we uh, there was a guy called J- uh, Jay who was just playing prop for us. He was a strong bodybuilder type of prop. He wasn't your traditional uh, uh, sort of barrel-shaped prop. He was a, a bodybuilder. And uh, I was sitting down with him and said, but you are literally the worst player in that I've ever played with. And what's going on? He's going, but why do I do this? I, yeah, but you don't understand anything about the game. OK, you're the worst player. And Del Saunders walked past in the background going, well, look at me. Look at me, sort of pointing at himself. Uh, uh, and I was like, oh, sorry, you are the second worst player I have ever <laughs> played with. And, uh, <laughs> and that kind of lived in the memory and uh, me and del Saunders got on really well with that tour and uh, we even had a sherry before sunday lunch <laughs> i've
1: nice. I, I got a question here so did prindy and carrie palmer ever listen to you
0: no they've never listened to me they they, yeah. they they're, they're, they're a saying isn't there? The, that the your closest friends are the biggest oh what's the uh, polite word i could
1: use for the <laughs> yeah they, they're good friends of me but they're um, we never went through nicknames, but I, we all kind of know your, your main one. But what, was you ever called Leafy? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. That,
0: uh, and that, uh, that see, that's a nickname that followed me from boarding school to um, rugby because we went for uh, Essex trials, and my old school friends met my new school friends, okay. and and half the rugby club the, 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 that was there, and they told them that he's called Leafy, but. I can't tell the rest of the story.
1: Okay, <laughs> but that's how it came across. <laughs> um, so, can you tell us uh, what Norwich Wine Club? What was that? Uh, so,
0: we we had the the idea was it's Matt Davis when Matt Davis was coaching us that so everyone had to bring a bottle of wine to the. Uh, to the game and or to afterwards on the way back and you had to introduce your wine to everyone on there and done some research and, and stuff like that and so you do that and the intention that mad was that everyone would uh, have a little um, sip of the wine for the rest of the journey home or whatever but we're rugby players no one does that so when it, everyone had done the introductions uh, it was like what can you do and then you'd hold it up and drink it all I think Jamie Pope drank the whole bottle straight in one, and that was it from then on. It was neck just neck neck your bottle of wine. I made the mistake of bringing along a, uh, a bottle of wine that had won a silver medal, and I was like, Look, guys, I brought a silver medal, wine, one won it. At this, so they went, Silver, Silver, why don't you bring a gold medal of wine? And, <laughs> and so I got fined for not for, for thinking it was important to bring silver but not going far enough to be gold. <laughs>
1: That's great. I mean, what's, um, so last, last couple now, mate. Um, so what's the, um, what's your greatest moment ever playing for Harlow? Oh, so
0: there's, 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 there's two that stand out for me. Um, the first one was, well, I played in the middle six sevens at Twickenham, uh, and that was great. Um, that was the uh, qualifying for that was fantastic. Uh, and then going down there and playing at Twickenham, uh, beating Richmond in their last ever professional game before they went bust was quite nice. Um, that that was that was just a really special day. Um, and actually, my wife came to watch with a couple of friends, and uh, that 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 was before we were married, and we'd only just been going out, and so that was quite a special um, uh, time. And the other one, I wasn't actually playing. Um, it was. Uh, we got to the end of the season and I was on the bench and I was on the bench I got pneumonia in the middle of the season and uh, I was first team captain but I sort of recovered by the end of January and then was back in uh, sort of training and and playing. Um, But I was very, very, very proud to be part of the team that almost got promoted that year. We were very unfortunate that Barry St Edmunds turned up with a professional team in the last game of the season and in the playoff, we we just lost down at Welling Garden City. Um, but that was, that were, I, I was very proud of that group of guys for everything that they'd done to get from the doldrums where we'd been before Matt had come in uh, to, to that point. And, uh, even though we didn't get promoted we still had some champagne in the changing rooms because we, we, we'd had a cracking season that year and I was um, well, I, did, I did play but I, I came off the bench in that game um, to play but yeah I was very proud of the guys in
1: nice a lot a lot of memories there isn't there a lot of the span of at the club and like say so now you're part of now the next lot of development obviously development for the future as well so it's a lot of lot of history there last question for me personally I've noticed in the podcast a lot you mentioned about how big my nose is have you, <laughs> actually, have you actually looked in the mirror Paul <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I'm pretty much looking in the mirror now and, and you're looking in the- the same mirror and it's clearly your nose is bigger than mine so yeah, know, mate this is the whole <laughs> features I'm talking about here all right yeah it doesn't matter mate it
1: doesn't matter God, I can't um, believe that every other rugby club you went to didn't notice that you had a big nose I don't, mate, I, I don't know that as well it, it's funny because it was I, I left the club I was big nose obviously 17 playing with you and all those are never got called it in my other teams and literally the first session back it was Van Beck, it was like right the big nose see you next tuesday <laughs> and was like, oh this is why uh, this is what harlow is all about um it great 10 years later that's still carried over no Paul, honestly, it's been a privilege um privilege talking to you mate it's, i mean we could probably talk a night to be honest with you if yep. about rugby or about stories or about tours or about, um but it's been great to, to hear from you and i thought it'd be nice just for you to have a chat on here instead of asking the questions so thank you for jumping on and chatting with me
0: No problem. Well, thank you very much for taking this on and firing the questions at me. And uh, did did you put me under pressure? Or did I turn it around at the end? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Cheers, Paul. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to the House of Rams podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please get in touch through Facebook or email me direct with your thoughts. If you'd like to appear on one of our podcasts, or showcase what you're doing at the club, please email me on pauloweneynon at gmail.com or contact me through Facebook. Watch out for our next release and thanks for listening.